Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm very excited to have tonight's guest. His name is David Cowan. And David and I met at Berkeley College of Music back in the days. And we kept friends. And he has been a wonderful friend of mine. Before I introduce David to our show, I want to introduce my book, which is A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. After I went through these adversities in Japan, when I came to America, I suffered a lot of mental health issues and a lot of PTSD and trauma and panic attacks. And I decided to write a book to share my experiences and in hopes of helping other people along with helping myself. This year, I decided to start a podcast, same title as my book, A Gift from Adversity. And it has been an amazing opportunity to share not only my stories, but my guests' stories. And not only sharing the adversities and the hardship in our lives, but to share tools that they use to overcome and a gift that came from it. So thank you so much for listening. Let's invite David to our show. Hi, David. Hello. How are you doing, Trey? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being on A Gift from Adversity tonight. So can you please tell our audience who you are and what you do? Uh, who am I? Uh, my, uh, so, Jury already told you, my name is David Cowan. I'm a professional musician and educator. Uh, I um, am a, primarily a drummer and composer. And... Um, I write a lot of music for for television, and um, and do a lot of um, play a lot of sessions. Actually, do a lot of sessions and uh, freelance drumming. And I'm also uh, an associate professor of music at Berkeley College of Music. Wonderful, thank you so much. And you are based in LA, correct? Yes. And how's it going? Um, very hot <laughs> today. Yeah, it's really hot today. No, it's 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 good. Um, it was kind of slow for a lot of people the last couple of years, but um, actually, somehow things managed to pick up for me. I, I actually was working a lot more than than normal. <laughs> during during covid um so it's it's pretty good pretty good right now i have a, a um a couple of interesting projects going on right now um that i'm really excited about so yeah well thank you and how can people find out your activities and updates we have website do you have any social media handles that you can share with our audience oh thanks for asking uh youngprofessordrums.com is my website and uh my instagram is youngprofdrums uh and 
YouTube, it's my YouTube channel is Young Professor. And uh, on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Young Professor. That's my Facebook music page. Well, great. Thank you so much, David. So I really appreciate you coming here today. And let's jump into our topic, which is the adversity. So would you share your adversity that you went through in your life? Um, well, when I was, uh, yeah, I was abused uh, by somebody when I was very young. I was about six, seven years old. Someone who was supposed to be taking care of me. Um, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, but um, uh, hmm. well. Yeah, I don't even know how to get started with this. Um, so I was seven. And there was a person who was supposed to be taking care of me when my parents weren't around. And sort of it was a, an abusive relationship in general. Um, you know, it's like making me do things that I didn't want to do you know, talking me into doing things I didn't want to do. And then eventually it ended up um, uh, uh, being some, some sexual abuse as well. Um, that, I mean, I mean, that's, that's the, That's basically it. You can ask questions um, if you want, and I can get into more detail if you. I just. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It's um, very heavy topic, and then people who has never been abused or sexually abused. Some people just don't really understand even the word itself. Mm. In my case, David, that I didn't even know what abuse was, what sexual abuse was until I came to Berkeley College of Music. And mm. one semester, I was very depressed and I went to the guidance counselor and then shared a little bit. And she said you have this thing called PTSD. And it was, I was 22 and I had no idea. So when did you realize, I know it was very young um, that happened and I'm very, very sorry that occurred to you. When did you realize something was wrong and then when did you identify that was abuse? Well, I was wrong right away. Um, 
at least that 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 one particular incident and then um it took a long time for me to sort of process the rest of it and i was an adult by the time you know i got to that um uh that's sort of when I started putting all the, all these pieces together, because there's all this, this stuff this person used to do um, whenever I was around them. Um, uh, and I never actually, never even occurred to me to say anything to my parents about it um, until I was almost 30 years old. Um, um, and in, in part because, well, in part because there's one time he actually threatened me about saying anything to my parents, but even before that, like it didn't really occur to me to, to, to say anything. Um, um, I actually, I usually get bullied quite a bit actually at school. So there's a lot of stuff happening every day and, you know, you know, things that had nothing to do with this person. So, I mean, sort of get, getting, getting picked on, getting bullied, getting beat up at school, that kind of stuff. And it was kind of, it's kind of regular, a, a regular thing. And then I was, you know, I was maybe, uh, I don't know. You know, there were there were times when I would go decide that I was going to uh, stand up for myself, um, and it, except that there wasn't really, any, oh my gosh, there was no uh, like I wasn't consistently always standing up for myself. So it took a while before I could get to the point where I was just like, yeah, I'm not taking any of this stuff anymore from anybody. Um, uh, so well, by the time I got to that person, this, that that uh, that point, this person was no longer in my life anymore. Um, oh, I think sort of comparatively, I have sort of I made it out of this whole thing relatively unscathed. Um. Um, but then I don't know, I, I never really got any kind of counseling or anything about this, but, uh, when I was about 29, I had this dream, um, and in the dream, I, uh, I was, I was having a conversation with God and he's like, you, you have to tell your parents what happened to you. Um. And uh, the, that person was a was a kid actually as well. He was twice my age because I was six or seven, and he was thirteen or something like that. Thirteen, but um, so you know, the thing about teenage boys in particular is, I think they might be inclined to do a lot of strange things when they're at when they're at that age. So you don't know what somebody's going to turn out how someone said somebody's going to turn out as an adult.
you know, I, I, I talked to my mom. I was like, well, you know, maybe I should let them know just in case, make sure this guy isn't doing this to anybody else. So I did have a conversation when I was, you know, with both of my parents when I was about 29. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just, I know this story sounds a little bit disjointed. Um, uh, I don't talk about it that much. Um, so, um, and I'm not necessarily the best storyteller, so. <laughs> I, I truly appreciate you being so brave and then uh, willing to share your story. And then it's not disjointed at all. And it is just heartbreaking to learn this happened to you. And how did your parents take it? Um, so it took you over 20 years or so more to find your parents what did they say to you um well my uh i mean of course they were livid um at this point you know it's 25 years later um there was a lot of stuff that i wanted to talk to them about that day but that was sort of the main that was the main event was this um you know, because that conversation consisted of that story and then just some of, uh, you know, some of the things I had to deal, deal with emotionally because um, because of some of the dysfunction in their relationship. So that was another piece of this, you know, this whole puzzle. But, um, and after, a after that, I mean, my, my, I was much closer to my parents as an adult. I was able to talk to them about a lot more things. So by the time we got there, I mean, you know, I was, you know, you know, I wasn't nervous about talking to them and they, you know, they responded well, you know, then my, my dad was furious, but he didn't fly off the handle or anything. He was just really kind of in disbelief that all of this stuff could have happened and that nobody knew. Um, you know, in some ways, it's probably maybe it's better that they didn't know at the time. Like, you know, who knows what my dad would have done at the time if he had found found out what happened. Um, but uh, yeah, I, after that, you know, I was closer, to, even closer to my parents after after sharing that with them. So for the time that you couldn't tell from the initial incident that occurred to you and then the silence that you kept to your parents in between, were you able to talk to a therapist or friends or any partners that you had that you were able to share this? Uh, uh, um, a couple of my closest friends knew about it but i never i never actually i never actually talked to a counselor about that um 
It took a while for me to, um, before I was able to talk to anybody about it, though, because I didn't, you know, a lot of times when this kind of stuff happens to people, you know, they don't always turn out okay. Sometimes abusers and people that are abused end up being abusers. Um, and I didn't want to have any kind of stigma, um, you know, because this had happened to me. So I, I never wanted anybody to know. Um, that was, that was the biggest piece. Um, but at a certain point I, I realized that, you know, I'm somebody that people generally trust, um, when, when they get to know me and, you know, that was the one thing that I had that I knew, well, you know, I, at the very least I could confide in somebody that knew me well and, you know, they wouldn't, um, Cause that was the that was the thing I was most afraid of actually is this having somebody think well this person had this horrible stuff these horrible things done to them and they were little maybe they're gonna do the same thing um, um, but once I, I realized well I can I can I can create my own life and um, you know, I'll be judged on my own, on my own actions and the way I live my own life. And I guess anybody, you know, if there are people who, because I had this happen to me, who, you know, who don't want to deal with me or don't want to work with me or whatever, well, then that's, that's their issue. Um, but there are enough people in my life that I knew would be supportive. So um, that, that made it easier for me, I think. That really sucks to know that, you know, you have this stigma. And then because I think, especially our generation, I'm 45 years old and I grew up in Japan. There was absolutely zero conversation about sexual abuse or PTSD or mental health growing up. Nobody knew what was going on. And then I think those stigma or bias against us as a victim of child sex abuse, or, you know, TV victims that we tend to think that those kind of biases will kill us. And then if I say something and maybe people will judge me. And then that had happened to me actually, because I'm a huge advocate now as a journalist or filmmaker or published author. Like I just don't really care about what people think about my past because I am who I am. But growing up, I couldn't even say what happened to me and I was afraid, like you, if I say, like, especially going to see a counselor, like in Japan, like seeing a counselor, like people will think that you're crazy and people would maybe not get a job. And those are things that is absolutely wrong. And it's a completely opposite. And I remember my counselor was saying to me that it's in my book that when I had those kind of bias that I'm maybe crazy, she said, no, how I build insurance company is that PTSD is considered as biological reaction because it's a chemical shift. So we code it to the insurance company um, that it is a physical diagnosis, not mental illness, PTSD. So when you, are, when you have a cancer, when you have a, a sick illness, then why would you feel stigma 
going to see a doctor to be, you know, healed. And that is really wrong. Sometimes people just don't talk about it. And then that makes it harder. Yeah. Uh, well, fortunately, <laughs> um, unfortunately, but I mean, for un my mom actually had something happen to her when she was young as well. But fortunately for me, she, you know, she had spoken to me about it actually quite a bit. So, um, um, she never did actually tell her parents about it. My grandparent, my grandparents about it. Um, uh, and because she never told anybody, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be careful about how I talk about it because I mean, even the, the person that did it is gone, but you know, I, this isn't the form that I wanted to share my mom's business like that. Um, if I were going to do that, I, there, there's a few conversations I'd want to have with a few people first. So, um, but, it, but at least she, she shared it with me. Um, and um, I think because she shared that with me, it, it, you know, eventually it was easier for me to talk about it, at least to talk to her about it and talk to my father. Um, um, Cause I knew that they, I knew they'd be supportive. So I think I was uh, I was really fortunate in that in that sense. So I think a lot of people it's not fair. A lot of people don't get the support um, um, that they need when they you know when they bring these things out. Um, and it just makes it that much much harder to talk about. Um, and I think it's really important for everybody involved that you know you, that you're able to talk about these things as soon as early as possible um, um one for yourself so that you can get whatever help you need and to make it stop if it's still going and then you know for whoever the abuser is um you know obviously that needs to stop they need some consequences and it's you know, it, it's harder when a lot of time passes by because then you have, you know, there's a lot less proof. Um, you know, it's hard enough to prove something like this sometimes when, you know, even when, uh, even when it's revealed early. But, you know, if, if it's years after, then you have, you know, that, that makes it all the more difficult. Um, People start to question question your motivation and those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, so for me, I, I I was fortunate in that in that sense. Um, so David, I really appreciate you um, sharing your experience, and I'm again very sorry that I called you and then that you didn't have. Um, earlier support that maybe you could have gotten. How did it affect you um, 
abuse, sexual abuse, and bullying that occurred at such a young age when you are like a teenager or young adult, um, or maybe even now too, how did this uh, adversity played the role in your life? You know, for the longest time, I didn't, I didn't think it affected me at all emotionally, but um, as I thought about it, you know, it, it may be where, um, you know, I have a few um, personality traits um, that aren't the most desirable, but I mean, one, one main thing is, um, I have a tendency to be a pleaser. Um, uh, and, it, and it's something I actually have to to fight against. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, you know, I just want, I just want people's approval. Um, and, you know, like I'll do it, I'll, you know, do whatever I have to do to get to get their approval. Um, un unless I have a chance to step back and think about what's you know what's going on. Like, why am I why am I doing this? I'm doing this thing. I don't even want to be doing this right now. Why am I doing it? Um, uh, you know, this person was like a big brother figure to me and I always wished I'd had a big brother but you know my parents you know <laughs> they didn't have a kid before me I was the oldest so um uh, I used to be really critical of everything I did um we'd walk to school if he didn't like the way I walked he'd smack me in the head he's like do everything just like me kind of thing um, I remember one time we were, we were, we were walking to school and I was, um, I was eating a banana that my mom gave me before I walked out the door. And so when I finished the banana, we were, we were walking past, um, we were walking past the synagogue that was about a, a block or so from my, from my school. And so I was looking around for a trash can and I didn't see one. He goes, what are you looking for? I said, a trash can. He said, just throw it on the ground. And I was like, no, I'm not going to throw it on the ground. That's littering. He's like, so? And I said, I don't want to litter. So that's bad. You're not supposed to litter. And he's like, look, just throw it on the ground. And we argued about it for a little bit. And then finally he goes, okay, fine. If you don't want to litter, pick up all this trash off of the ground. Um, so he made me pick up all this trash and I was picking up all this trash and had so much trash. Eventually, like we were, I was going to be late for school trying to pick up all the trash. And then once I picked the trash up, where was I going to put it? So eventually I just got discouraged and, um, and I just threw all the trash on the ground. Um, I just felt kind of defeated. Um, you know, lots of lots of little stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's just time and time again situations where uh, another time we stole a bike. Um, we were going to a movie and we were late. It was late picking me up and we were, I was, I think I was nine at that point. And then we we're going to go to the movie and we were late and then we were walking past this yard and there was a bike. And it's like, hey, let's take this bike. We'll get there faster. And I was like, no, like that's stealing. So, I mean, we, we sat, we, we stood there and argued about it for, for, for a while. And then finally I was like, all right, fine. But, you know, we have to, we have to bring it back though. When, you know, when the movie's over. So we took the bike and we went to the movie and then afterwards, don't don't even ask me how the bike didn't get stolen at the movie theater. Fortunately, it didn't get stolen. But when we came back, there were people outside, so we couldn't even bring the bike right back to their yard. But we were like around the around the corner, but it was a small corner, so there was like a house in the corner, and it was just a short enough distance that we could hear that people were outside in the front yard. So. So we left it around the corner. So I, I still don't know to this day if they ever got their bike back. But I felt like an asshole because we took their bike. Um, but, you know, it's like that kind of stuff, that was regular. Um, um Yeah, so Nino used to make fun of me, and I didn't want him to make fun of me. I always wanted him to think that I was cool too. So, um, you know, even if I didn't want to do stuff, eventually, like he talked me into doing stuff I just didn't want to do. Um, yeah. Well, I'm very sorry, and then this is very heavy topic. Um, now I want to switch our conversation to tools that you use to overcome all these adversities. And this part of the question, uh, in my podcast is very important to me because a lot of people say, okay, Jerry, you went through this stuff and then adversity that you should just go get a counselor and maybe better, or maybe take a medication which I've never really done. Since like I was 15, uh, my mom forced me, but I, I stopped and I'm not taking medication right now or anything. Um, I've done six years of counseling. I've done EMDR. I've done so many modalities to heal myself. But doing this podcast, David, that I've learned so much techniques and the different tools that you uh, people used to overcome the adversities. So what are the things that you use to overcome this adversities that was most helpful? Well, Just, 
you know, it's interesting. Now, um, the longer I talk about it, the more I realize I probably still need to get some counseling. Actually, my mom used to always wanted me to always wanted me to go. Um, um, you know, one one issue I had all the way through school, uh, and even in into my adult life, is that I was very angry. Um, and my temper was like. Well, actually, not quite. Like it wasn't quick, um, although it was quicker than most. Um, yeah, but when I blew, it was going to be huge. Um, uh, you know, uh, there were a handful of times that it worked to my advantage because it was, you know, when I lost it, it was against people that had been bullying me. So um, let's just say they didn't bully me anymore. <laughs> after I lost my temper, but, um, uh, one of the things is that I could talk to my, my family about things like this. So that, that was really helpful for me. You know, my, you know, my, my parents, my grandparents, um, the other thing is my 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 Christian faith, which um, that's really been my anchor, um, like more than anything else, because um, it made me look at it made me look at everything a little bit different. It made me look at the whole world from a different a different lens. Um, um, Uh, it made me look at my own value as a person differently as well. Um, so I learned to not judge myself and also um, um, it helped me develop a better uh, spirit of forgiveness for, for others. Um, and so I developed a bit more self-control. Um, however, I would, uh, I, I probably still should get some counseling. Um, uh, now that we're into this conversation, cause that's what I haven't, I haven't spoken to anybody about this at length before like this, since I told my parents. So it's been, you know. 25, 26 years since, since then. Um, hmm. I know you're a musician. And then do you think uh, playing music, composing music, you know, helped you? Well, I, I certainly music helps in that. I mean, music was, Music was the only thing I've ever, ever really wanted to do. Um, so, and like, who knows what I would have, what would have happened if I didn't have music. 
And, and fortunately, there was a lot of support for the music. I went to a school that had amazing music. The school district that I grew up in had amazing music. We had we had teachers that would come to my elementary school and uh, you could take up an instrument. Um, I don't know what what the the earliest age was that you could start, but I started like I took drum lessons when I was 10 and it's basically like snare drum. So we pair of sticks, we learned how to read notation, simple technique, how to read. So that's where I first learned how to read music notation. Um, uh, junior high school was great. And then the high school, um, you know, for a while I was thinking, boy, I wish I could go to the Cleveland school of art school of the arts. Um, uh, but, we had a, uh, there was this big choral festival at the high school in my city. And uh, the choirs from the three junior high schools were there. And um, when I went to that, that's when I knew, like, I, I, I didn't want to do anything else. Like, I wanted to go, I definitely wanted to go to that school. Because up until that point, I, I wanted to go to the Cleveland School of the Arts. Um, but then when i when i saw everything that happened at that place i knew i didn't need i didn't need to be anywhere else um like my mom had talked about sending me to private school or something maybe a catholic school or something and i um we had a, a conversation about it and I, I i wasn't having it i was like like i can't i can't be anywhere else but this place and so so my high school was great. And before that, like I said, my middle school was had really great music. And I found this place called the Rap Art Center in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, um, when I was about 12. And I used to walk past it every day um, on my way uh, on my way to school. Um, it was right on the, my bus route. So I would walk and sometimes um you know, at least once or twice a day, I'd walk past it on my way to school. And, um, you know, I had looked inside the window one day and I saw a bunch of older kids and they were singing songs and playing the guitar in this lounge area inside this place. And one day I got up enough nerve to walk in. Um, and one of the counselors met me at the door and uh, he said, how can I help you? And I said, I want to play the guitar. And, um, and about a week I was within about a week, I was sitting in the studio with him learning chords on the guitar. Um, and you know, he, I, like I said, he was one of the counselors there. I didn't even, I had no idea that this was some place where, where kids would go to get counseling. Um, you know, for me, it was just a cool place where people were hanging out playing music. So, um, uh, you know, once a week I'd go sit with this guy named Joel and we, you know, he'd show me stuff on the guitar. Um, and then eventually there was another counselor that I met there who, who ran the recording studio that they had in the basement there. And, um, so, um, you know, I started meeting other kids that were coming there. For counseling and then eventually started a band 
um, with with a guy that initially I had been fighting. Like we'd like like this guy and his friends jumped me in the in the pharmacy that was down the street from the school. Um, but then we met, you know, months later at this place at the Rap Arts Center and and became friends because of music. Um, so music is the thing that's always been, I mean, that's always what I was doing. If I wasn't at school um, and I wasn't at home, my mother always knew that I was at the Rap Arts Center. That was, um, that's where she could find me. And then eventually, like, if I wasn't there, like my friend Kyle, who was a bass player that I met at the Rap Arts Center, lived across the street from the high school. And eventually, Kyle and I formed a band. Uh, so I was 15. I got to high school and started a band with Kyle. Um, and uh, so I was always surrounded by music and musicians. And um, I spent a lot of my time doing that. Um, uh, you know, other kids would be outside. I'd be in the house playing the guitar or playing the drums, trying to learn songs and that kind of thing, or pretending I was performing a concert in the basement with the broom, take the broomstick and play air guitar with the broom, or I guess it's not air guitar if you're holding some broom guitar. <laughs> and I would pretend to be doing, you know, performing a concert in front of lots of people. Um, but yeah, I, that music was always my my uh, solace. So yeah, if 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 not for that, and if not for places like the Rap Art Center and my and my high school, um, Cleveland Heights High School, um, uh, I, I I have no idea what what my life would have been like. Well, thank you so much for sharing the tools. And I'm gonna move on to the last question on our podcast, which is a gift that came from it. Well, David, what would you say a gift that came from the adversity? Uh, I think it made me a little bit more sensitive to uh, towards people and their, you know, and their issues than perhaps I would have been otherwise. Um, yeah, I think that's it maybe a little bit more relatable. Um, and it also, I actually got to the point where um, um, you know, again, partially because of my faith, you know, this, you know, the idea of, of forgiveness, forgiving myself and forgiving others, um, Like I've had so much, um, I've explored that topic 
so deeply that I mean, the, the, just the the way that I think about it has even allowed me to forgive that person. Um, and I guess part of that is also that 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 you know that person was a kid when all this happened as well. So that's another that's another piece. Um, um, Yeah, it's a funny place that my life is in right now. Um, um, uh, Cause we're actually, actually, we're actually in touch now, which is something new, which wasn't the case the last time you and I had a conversation about this. Um, we haven't had a conversation, but we're, you know, we're connected on social media and they follow my activities and I follow theirs. So, um, haven't gotten to the point um, where I'm ready to have a conversation, but like, I'm okay. Like, you know, realizing, you know, uh, and not that everybody's going to be able to do that because I know that's, that's just not going to happen for everybody. And it's, it's fine. People feel however they do about it and, and that's okay. Um, but, um, But in my case, um, because this happens to me, it gives me, it's given me a greater capacity for forgiveness and for others and for myself. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that. So to close this podcast, David, uh, if you maybe, uh, if we doing this podcast and my goal is really to normalize these conversations and difficult difficult topics and if you um think about somebody who's struggling right now due to these adversities that we've experienced as well what kind of advice would you give as to my last question for this podcast uh to talk to somebody about it as soon as they're able, like as soon as they can bring themselves to do it. Cause it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's horrible if you don't have anybody to talk to like if you. That's, I mean, that's the worst possible um, thing to imagine. Cause it's, you know, it's lonely. I mean, this isn't the only secret I've ever had, but, you know, so I know it's like when you have something that you can't share that's affected you in a negative way, especially, and you and you can't share with anybody, it's really lonely. Um, and, you know, it could really drive people nuts. I think it negatively affected my mom. Like she never actually got around to, to telling her parents what happened, and partially because it was a relative that was close to my grandparents. So she never got around to telling. And then by the time she felt like she might be able to talk about it, um, you know, my grandfather was ill and, um, you know, it would have destroyed him to know something like that. So I would just say that, you know, as soon as you can, just talk to somebody, find the person that you know you can trust the most and talk to them. If you can't go to someone else outside, just at least 
you know, have somebody that you can go to and, and have this conversation with so that you don't have to suffer alone. To add to that, David, my case is when I told my mom, she didn't believe it. And that destroyed me. And I tried to kill myself when I was 15. So to add to your advice, well, definitely share with somebody. But if that person um, have never heard of sexual abuse or abuse or bullying, whatever, um, that they don't have capacity to believe you, that doesn't mean that didn't happen to you. Yeah, so, and it's, yeah, it doesn't have to be your parents. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be your parents. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to necessarily be anybody you think. You just got to know, like, you know, I, I think most people know who their real friends are, the, the folks that are going to be the most supportive. And, you know, you've got to figure out who that is. And then that's the person that you share this with. Because everybody's not going to be receptive. You know, some people like to blame the victim. It's just natural for people to do that. It's yeah, that's the worst part of like second or third shock wave to the initial abuse. And that's one of the reasons why I think this kind of conversation is very important. So thank you so much, David, for coming to a gift from adversity today. And then I know uh, this is a very hard conversation for you and for anyone to talk about. But let's hope that our conversation today can even you know reach out to one person i will be honored and i want our audience to know that there are help out there and then people like us not a counselor but the real genuine human being who try to overcome this adversity out there and you know if you need to reach out reach out so thank you so much again david all right thank you Jay.